Hello, and welcome to another edition of Brussels Sprouts. I'm Andrea Kendall-Taylor. And I'm Jim Townsend. And we're so glad you can join us. Today, we're continuing our series of quick hits on the ongoing crisis caused by Russia's military buildup near its border with Ukraine. As tensions carry over into a new month, many are questioning what Russia's next steps might be. On Tuesday, Vladimir Putin spoke about Ukraine for the first time since December. Uh, It was a speech in which he conveyed mixed messages about his intentions. On the one hand, he noted that he hoped to find a solution to the crisis, and he noted the extensive diplomacy that has been taking place, and that includes his recent conversations with French President Emmanuel Macron and Italian Prime Minister Draghi. Um, But on the other hand, I think he was quite clear about the fact that he uh, recognizes that the United States uh, has not taken Russia's security concerns seriously. Um, Meanwhile, the facts on the ground continue to suggest that the conflict remains more likely than not, as Russian forces continue to increase, including more units, logistics, and enablers such as blood supplies. Uh, We also had a new piece of news just as we were sitting here that President Biden approved a U.S. troop deployment to Europe. So to help us make sense of this rapidly evolving situation, we're really pleased today to welcome Christoph Wigson to the podcast. So Christoph, welcome. It's great to have you. Wonderful to have you, to be with you, Andrea, and and good to see you, Jim. It's good to see you, Brief bio for Christoph. Christoph Hoiskin is the former ambassador of Germany to the United States, a role which he held from 2017 to 2021. He also previously served as a top security and foreign affairs advisor to former Chancellor Angela Merkel. Uh, and later this year, he will take over as chairman of the Munich Security Conference, which we now hear is going to be held in person short coming up. Okay, Christoph, um, let's just step back. And I think kind of there's been so much that's happened over the weekend and into the beginning of this week. I just want to, you know, ask you very broadly uh, your sense of of where we are with things. Well, um, I think there are there are two responses to your question. One is a short term, and one a long term. On the short term. I must say, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the first who is there also to criticize U.S. administrations, but um, I must say um, the way that the Biden administration has handled this crisis in terms of coordinating with, with allies was really done in an in a, in a admirable way. You know, the president went out of his way to, you know, call everybody, um, the secretary of state, the national security advisor. There were lots of... Um, you know, coordination um, bilaterally within NATO, with the EU, within the OSCE. Um, we on our side of the Atlantic, um, we um, um, revitalized the Normandy format and went into the talks there with, um, together with France, with Ukraine and Russia. So this united stance, this coordination has really impressed Um, Russia and also when you listen to what the Russian ambassador said um, Monday at the um, at the United Nations Security Council you can feel that um, the Russians are saying well you know what are you talking about an aggression there's no invasion ahead so I think in the short term um, the Russians are impressed and I think what President Biden decided today to send more troops uh, to Eastern Europe 
um, demonstrate to the Russian president that um, what he tried to do to divide us, um, to maybe use the momentum of um, maybe a, a inward-looking uh, Russia, a change of government in Germany, a, a presidential election in France to find a weak spot and, and go ahead and, and try to get um, Ukraine into his sphere of influence, this didn't work. So tactically, in the short run, I think we are right now at a better stage than we were, let's say, a couple of weeks ago. But... Um, Andrea, um, I think we also have to take a broader look and see what is Putin up to. What has he tried over the last years um, when he, on the one hand, you know, um, actually crippled all domestic opposition? There is no opposition. There is no, um, there is no civil society. There is no media. He has taken a very nationalistic um, approach. Um, he has um, prevented everything, you know, what happening to fight the kind of, you know, post-Soviet oligarch order in, in, in Kazakhstan a couple of weeks ago in, in Belarus. Um, so he is continuing on his way on his nationalistic policy, and he's clearly set his eye on Ukraine, where he said last year that, um, um, you know, last year in the summit said, well, actually, um, um, from his perspective, um, from his perspective, um, our uh, Ukraine is part of, of Russia, and, and this is where it, where it belongs. So um, while there is um, a bit, I'm a bit relieved, um, short term, the long-range ambition by Putin, I think, remains in place. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I like your that you said, you know, we're in a better state than we were a few weeks ago. And I think that applies at least to where the allies are. And I think, again, the kind of degree of unity amongst the allies is remarkable. Maybe one notable exception with Viktor Orban, right, who stood next to Putin yesterday um, and, you know, kind of legitimated legitimized uh, Putin's security concerns and called into question the utility of sanctions. So some, I mean, but, but, but to be expected, right? In an alliance of 30 states, there's gonna be some bumps in the road, but I think your point is, is spot on. But I do wanna ask you, cause I also think this, you know, better than we were a few weeks ago also applies to where Germany is. Um, you know, we did a podcast a week or so ago when there were some concerning signals coming out of Berlin, but we seem to be moving in the right direction. And I wonder if you can talk about how you've seen the domestic debate evolve inside Berlin. Yes, just one word, if you allow me, on, on Orban. It was, um, you know, when I was advisor to the chancellor, when we were working very hard and Merkel was instrumental to get the EU um, you know, agreeing on the tough sanctions after 2014-15, it was always a problem to get Orban on, online. So his behavior is something to be expected. He is, and his government is uh, also, you know, in general undermining, you know, rule of law in the European Union. He is a special, he is a special case on Germany. Um, as I said earlier, and, and you all know, we had a change of government and we now have um, a chancellor from the Social Democratic Party. And the Social Democratic Party has a long tradition. It has a tradition of, of um, Willy Brandt, who was the architect of um, uh, what we call Ostpolitik. Um, I think without Willy Brandt's Ostpolitik, you know, going to Warsaw, kneeing at the, you know, uh, you know recognizing um, what, what Germany had done to Poland 
other countries, um, the way that he tried um, um, reconciliation um, was one um, element, important element that made German reunification possible. So um, we have to respect that. Um, there is the second tendency, and that is Chancellor Schröder. Chancellor Schröder, um, who um, was, of course, the times were better between you know Europe and and Russia and you know, and Russia. Then went all in to become a partner of of Putin, and actually after retired uh, went on Putin's Gazprom board, and is now clearly promoting um, Gazprom interest. Um, and he still has influence in the party. But what happened last week? Um, Schröder um, exaggerated, clearly exaggerated, and he went public saying, well, um, Ukraine should stop with its sable rattling. And um, this really caused an uproar, and the Social Democratic Party um, you know, said this is, um, I mean, they didn't say it, but they, they realized that um, you know, now um, with former Chancellor Schröder um, undermining the credibility of a social democratic government. Um, so um, the new um, chairman, um, it's a new chairman of the social democratic party, Lars Klingbeil. He is, um, you know, he could be my son, really young, young generation. And um, he called in all the, um, you know, all the different factions of his party into um, the SPD um, 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 headquarters and afterwards came out and clearly saying, you know, with regard to possible sanctions, everything is on the table. Um, and of course, we are, um, we are united and we are united with our friends. So um, we also had, a, from my perspective, a positive movement there in um, um, in Germany, and um, um, we'll see that reflected next week when Chancellor Scholz visits uh, Biden. I expect this visit to be a very good one. Um, I may be over-optimistic, but I think we will see, on the one hand, President Biden demonstrating again how much he appreciates close cooperation with Europe and with Germany. And, you know, we had Secretary Blinken here a couple of weeks ago with very you know, friendly remarks. And um, um, at the same time, now with um, this out of the way, President uh, Chancellor Scholz will say that, of course, we stand united there. So I think we are, with regard to Germany, uh, we are in a better place than we were. I don't know what my colleagues who you had a couple of weeks ago, what they said, but I think we are at a much better place now than when we were before. Well, thank you so much uh, for that, Kristoff. Uh, uh, and, and once again, it's great to see you on the screen and it's great to have you outside of government with the rest of us swimming around trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, you know, as I, as, I, uh, as, I, as I think about this uh, in terms of what uh, allies seem to be doing, whether it's the US, it was just announced we're gonna be moving forces and UK has delivered things to Ukraine. Uh, you know, lighting tank weapons. Uh, the Estonians are trying to send uh, artillery, as you know. Uh, javelins have gone from the Baltics. I mean, there's there's a lot going on, and we all know about uh, you know the special difficulties that Germany has had, whether it's within the government, the coalition trying to figure themselves out, but also you know the history that Germany has had, and it has to take that into account when they make decisions like this. 
I was wondering if you wanted to kind of give us your perspective on those on those issues. There's been just last point, you know, there's been a lot of misinformation out there too. The UK having to fly around Germany uh, to deliver equipment that was obviously not a a real issue. It was fabricated. Uh, and there's there's some other things too where the truth needs to kind of come out. And I was wondering if you'd like to give give your views on that issue. Yes. Um, no. Thanks for for that question because it is um, it is a, a tough issue. We um, you know we are faced, and I think it's good that we continue to be faced and remember our history. You know what Germany in the name of Germany was done. Um, you know in Europe, all over the world, and um, you know the new Germany after 1945 was actually a, a, a pacifist uh, country. It, it took uh, you know 10 years after the um, uh, Second World War that we started again with armed forces, and there has always been a very strong movement against Germany again um, being you know, a country which has an army. You know, we have a strong peace movement. Uh, we had a strong peace that was totally against that. So um, rearming Germany, Germany becoming member of NATO, um, and then Germany getting involved in international conflict is something that doesn't come easy. We have the Greens in government uh, that actually part of their roots are in this, this peace movement. But it is gradually changing. Um, from my perspective, it is too slow. I think sometimes um, it's too easy to say because of our history, um, we don't want to send arms into any conflict zones. It's an, it's an easy excuse. And um, uh, my plea also, and I, I went also public in, in a couple of newspapers here in Germany saying, listen, we have to rethink just as we, for instance, sent the most modern submarines to Israel for the protection of Israel because of our history, because of the Holocaust, we feel now um, really, um, um, we, we really feel that we, we need to, to do everything for the um, security and safety of Israel. We sent the most, the best submarines. Um, you know, the argument is also now being promoted that when you look back at um, where Hitler's troops, um, you know, did the worst um, was actually on the territory of Ukraine. Um, there is um, in, um, uh, it's 80 years ago um, that in a place outside Kiev, Babin Jar, um, the Wehrmacht, uh, the Gestapo, the SS, within a weekend massacred more than 30,000 Ukrainian Jews. And um, the question is also now, you know, when you look back at the history, what Germany did to Ukraine, isn't this a moment where we should also help to arm um, uh, the the Ukrainians. Um, this is not government line, but more and more, even within the government, there is some. Uh, the head of the defense committee um, um, from the liberals said the same thing. So it's gradually moving. Um, we're not there yet. But um, if you talk about you know what has Germany done there after 2014, 15, you know, it was after all Chancellor Merkel, you know, that um, was the driving force behind the Normandy format that got um, actually the Russian advance stopped where it is right now. And, and we worked together with the Obama administration as very at very tough um, um, sanctions. We have, by the way, that was still Obama was, I think it was 2016, where we agreed to send now um, we have troops in Lithuania. 
We, um, Germany um, participates in the air patrolling over the Baltic airspace where Russia is continuously um, violating it. So we are, we are participating in this exercise now to single out Germany and say, well, you know, equidists, no, you don't do enough. This is not fair. When you look at the economic support we give to Ukraine, I think we are second to none in doing that. We give a lot of advice. We, um, you know, we have lots of friends in Ukraine who are very appreciative of, of what we have been doing to them. So um, we do a lot, but, um, you know, the new government um, had to find its way and, and there were some uh, uh, some news or, and, and sometimes people like Germany bashing, you know, so uh, that happens. But overall, I'm, you know, we're on the right track. Yeah, that, yeah that, that, that's what kind of what our sense also has been. Um, a little bit of a related question. You know, I, I do get the sense that if Putin does something kind of at the higher end of the spectrum, a lightning strike or something really significant, a land invasion, that allies, it'll make it far easier for allies to be standing shoulder to shoulder and have more kind of cohesion about what an appropriate response looks like. Um, yes. Lots of people, though, are talking about what happens if it is um, something less extreme. Obviously, President Biden had his kind of you know, gaff when he talked about a minor incursion. Um, there does seem to be a lot of focus on how allies would respond um, to something at the lower end of the spectrum. From your experience kind of working in government, what do you think those conversations look like now inside government? Are, do you think that we're kind of going through a painstaking process of trying to figure out how we calibrate a response, what our minimum threshold is, I don't know. What what does yeah. that look like? How are we coordinating, particularly on that lower side? Because you know, I think it it you know it will be more difficult. Yes, um, um, I think that um, what what President Biden said was a bit unfortunate that it said in in public, um, but um, of course behind closed doors, this is what is happening. Um, and here, Jim, you know, being out of government, you don't, one doesn't really know what exactly is going on. My sense is, though, that um, um, uh, people um, agree that as soon as um, um, Putin steps over the line of control, that is where the border is right now, if he moves into what I would say, you know, looking back at the past, what they were looking at, you know, um, this Nova Russia idea, what is um, most likely that he has put his eye on if he, you know, doesn't want to take Ukraine in one step is um, the area around the, um, you know, on the Black Sea. And I think it's very good that the US is concentrating on in this area, um, Mariupol, Odessa, you know, these are the key cities that um, I think Putin will look at for strategic reasons, because this would allow him to control the whole um, um, coast to the Black Sea. And maybe even, I remember back in 2014-15, there was a lot of talk from the Russians about the recreation of the Nova Russia, which would allow the link between you know Crimea, Donbas, Odessa, all the way up to Transnistria, you know, this strip on the river there, which where the Russians have this enclave between Ukraine and Moldova and have a land link to, to that one. I think that when you look at the map, um, this is probably something that the generals point out to Putin that this would make sense. So my sense is um if 
Putin moves into Mariupol, Odessa or something, then um, you know the whole set of sanctions that are being that, that are being prepared in the EU um, in um, that are being prepared in the EU and with US and and I'm pretty certain that we will have right now the same thing that happened um, um, eight years ago that there is very close coordination between the US and and, and the EU. So that's my my take. Uh, let me let me ask you. Let's let's jump from the here and now, or the potentially right around the corner and now, uh, and think about post Ukraine. Uh, Andrea and I have been kicking this. I around was just going to go in the same direction, Jim. So I we know, were I, on the same page. <laughs> I knew I was stealing your question. Sorry about that, but you you get the follow up. Um, well, you have to agree between you on that. There, I don't <laughs> want to enter into your discussions there. <laughs> well, it's it's all very friendly. Uh, <laughs> Until the cameras go off and then it, the gloves come off, but no. Uh, but uh, <laughs> the um, uh, just looking at post uh, the the day after Ukraine, you know, I call we call it kind of the day after Ukraine, which because no matter what happens, whether it's big or small or lightning or not, or we're still finding ourselves as the West conceivably chasing Putin around Europe from crisis to crisis. Um, for months or years to come. And so we're, we're in a new era. So the day after Ukraine, what's our policy going to be? What should we do as the West or as NATO? I mean, is it, uh, I keep raising the ghost of uh, George Kennan saying, you know, do we go back to containment? Are we going to be containing Putin? Are we going to, what, what does this look like? What do you think? What should we do? I mean, can you imagine now negotiating the NATO strategic concept? I mean, holy cow, we, uh, we're going to have to say something soon about this. What do you, what should we say? Well, um, let me go back to what I said at the very beginning, you know, explaining where is um, where is Putin. So um, he wants to rebuild the Soviet empire under a Russian flag. So um, um, and then, you know, you just have to put up a map, you know, and look at a map. And um, then next to that map, you put the map of the Soviet Union. And um, and then I think there you are. So. Um, he hates that the Baltic countries are where they are, but since the Baltic countries are clearly under Article um, 5 uh, NATO, he will not move. Um, I'm always scared you know, when, you, when, you, when you look at the Baltic countries and the percentage of ethnic Russians in those countries between 20 and 40 percent. All the Baltics are pretty relaxed. They say the Russians there, they may watch um, Russian television, but they have no no wish whatsoever to go back to Russia because they see across the border how miserable their, um, you know, the, the 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 Russians live, and they want to benefit from you know um, the freedom of movement from the euro from from it. So there there is no. I think what Putin would love to see some some ethnic Russians, you know, um, uh, opposing the the governments in the Baltic countries, but that does not happen. So. Um, that direction. Then you look at Ukraine, you look at Moldova. He tried to, Moldova is a small piece, I think probably people listening to you, nobody hardly ever knows Moldova. It's a small piece. He tried to get that. There was a pro-Russian president. I don't know, they didn't pay attention. The corruption was just to a degree that they now have a pro-Western uh, pro, uh, democracy um, um, prime minister, uh, uh, a woman, Sandu. 
I think we should do everything. Oh, and and I mean, Moldova is small. It's it's I don't know. It's it's smaller than than I don't know Manhattan or something. But uh, we have to support the lady because this is what Putin hates to see Moldova go the wrong direction. Georgia, um, while you know we we're talking about Saakashvili earlier, um, the country is not in a very good shape. Um, I think there's still some oligarchs, and and Russia will always see can we do some inways. I think we have to also see to it that um, we strengthen democracy there. Armenia is totally in the hands of Russia um, uh, because um, they are um, you know under. Um, by the Azeris, the Azeris are better equipped. If the Azeris try again, then um, you know they need Russia. So um, Armenia cannot move. They are in the Russian. And the only challenge is Azerbaijan because Azerbaijan is richer, and there, um, you know, Turkey, um, Turkey has been moving in, and that is a bit of a dilemma for um, Russia. Central um, um, Central Asia. The central, this is, you know, we all see this, this is very far away from the US, but Central Asia is part of a country, part of a, you know, which is between China and Russia. When you talk at the people there, you see that what happened in Kazakhstan, you know, Uzbekistan moved in another direction. When you talk to the people there, they don't like too much to be under, you know, uh, uh, under the influence of Russia. They also don't like to be too much under the influence of, of, of China. So, but Russia will keep an eye open there that, that nothing happens there. But, um, you know, this is interesting. What happened in Kazakhstan can happen anytime in any of these countries uh, uh, as well, I believe. But Putin will try to watch that. So that's the former Soviet Union. Then go out, look at, um, you know, Soviet Union was um, in the good old canon, George canon days, you know, they were, they were um, going around Africa. Look what um, the Russians are doing. You know, they are not, they are Syria, it's not Africa, but um, they are, Mali, they still Mali, have their right, troops. The exactly, they have their troops in Libya. They have their the Wagner troops um, there, um, very strong, and they continue to prevent Libya from becoming again a functioning state. They don't go out; they are violating international law. Um, they are in the Central African Republic. They threw out the French there. They are about to throw out the French in Mali um, with their with the with the Wagners. And um, I mean, I always wonder how they do that. They are over everybody's. They are overstretching, you know. And and by the way, this is something that Biden and also Obama got wrong to a certain degree, saying, well, we have to concern on China, Obama saying, um, you know, Russia is a regional actor. It may be, you know, that GDP is, um, you know, I don't know, Italy's or something. But, you know, if you are a totalitarian state, you can go all in. You don't have to, you don't spend anything on, on development aid, on humanitarian aid. You spend everything on weapons and then you go in and do the work you do. So we better watch, watch out. And um, Putin is opportunistic. He looks where are weaknesses, and that's where he's going to move in. So that's my take of, of Putin there. Well, I think we maybe found a topic for a future side event at the Munich Security Conference, which is kind of coming up with a, trans, a revitalized transatlantic approach to Russia for all the reasons that you just laid out and as Jim was kind of referring to. This is going to be, a, I think, an infinitely more difficult Putin to manage for the time to come. And so what are the new elements of that? Thinking about the anti-kleptocracy and anti-corruption pieces, reducing European energy dependence, all of the Russians that are now leaving Russia, how do we support them and their work from outside Russia? I mean, there's just so many different dynamics. One idea that we've been talking about too a lot is kind of moving forward with, you know, 
this a concept of a, a collective defense of democracy. Because as you yes. noted in, in Kazakhstan, for example, we know that Putin and you know with the, the, the tacit approval of Xi, they come to the defense of embattled dictators. They're there when they have a problem. And so what is it that we as democracies will do for each other when our democratic institutions are attacked? So I think there's a lot, there's a lot more that can be done. And I think it would be fantastic to do you know, some more work and thinking about what a post-Ukraine approach to Russia now looks like. So what I think, Andrea, we should do, and I saw that in the in the UN Security Council, admittedly, that was during the Trump administration. The Trump administration wasn't really seen as, you know, administration that was pro whatever, you know, was just, you know, America first. And uh, since then, of course, we see the challenges that your country faces. And what I'm an advocate that we um, that we um, spread out, uh, that we look at um, countries outside the classical, you know, NATO alliance, that we go into um, um, Asia, that we go look at good governed countries in Africa, that we look at uh, Latin America. We ca we have to do much more about this. People are unhappy if you know the Chinese bully their way in. Um, people are unhappy if the Russians only send their weapons and don't care about democracy. And they are looking for countries like us. Also, they are looking at, at my country. Um, Germany has the fourth largest GDP. And um, you know, I think that we are, um, how do you say this in English? We are boxing, you know, in a in a lower weight class. I think we 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 should. This is one of the things also with the Munich Security Conference we try to do in Germany to to tell our politician to the, the public that you know we have um, uh, to step up um, um, to step up and bat and 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 play a more more important role and um, i think that's something we 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 want to to do of course always and the best is and we see it right now when we talk about european sovereignty yes i'm all in favor of it but we see right now with the russians attacking without the us umbrella, we would be, you know, in a terrible space. So again, you know, transatlantic relations are key, but I think we should move out. We should go beyond this. You know, Jim, I mean, you, you were stationed in that region, if I don't get wrong. I had a long conversation with my Vietnamese colleague in, in um, um, I mean, you were not stationed there, but you know, I was my Vietnamese colleague and, and we formed a um, a group of friends of the law of the sea, you know, Germany and Vietnam. And you know, of course, which direction that was angled at. And I think these kind of things we should do, we should listen to them um, and, and, and do, it, do it together. So that's my, my thing, kind of an international law, not talk about the West so much, you know, but talk about countries that respect international law and stand for the UN Charter, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. This is where we should go. This is at least what I, and a good topic um, at Munich. <laughs> well, this was wonderful. Yeah, go ahead, Jim. Um, I was just going to say, Andrea and I are, are going to be ready and happy to travel to Munich next February. Mm -hmm. We won't say this February, but next February, we are ready to go. We will stand on that stage and deliver deliver the goods. So, so we're looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Is... No, let's 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 really stay in uh, in touch. Um, you know, I take over the Munich Security Conference in uh, uh, at the end of uh, this conference, and I'd love to stay in touch. 
you know, transit, my first posting was, um, you were not born, well, Jim was born, Andrea, you were not born yet. I was in 1983. My first posting was in Chicago and I love the US. My last one was in New York. I see how much, you know, we, we had transatlantic, we have to work together. It's key, but we have to go beyond that. And, and it's a wonderful base, but, um, and let's do that together. Yeah, no, this was really wonderful. I mean, we obviously started with the Russia-Ukraine crisis, but it has ushered in a new era. And so having these larger conversations about what it means um, and how to take on and address a more uh, aggressive and revisionist Russia as they're deepening ties with China, there's a, clearly a lot of work to do. So these are the discussions yeah. that we're excited to have. So thanks for joining us, Christoph. Yep, thank okay, you. Okay, it was really a pleasure. Thanks, Andrea. Thanks, Jim. Thank Be you. well. Bye.